The scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and thank you for this day that you set apart to yourself. What a joy it is to gather together to worship your holy name. You are worthy, you alone, of all of our honor and glory and praise. We thank you that you meet with us now, and you call us into your presence. And we ask that we would hear your voice now, Jesus, as we turn to your word. Lord, we lift up the churches surrounding us, and we thank you for them. This morning we pray for Hickory Grove Baptist North, Hope Community Church, and Prosperity Presbyterian. Thank you for every person in each of these churches. Thank you for the work they're doing in the community. And Lord, as all three are gathered right now to worship your name, we ask your blessing upon them. May you bless your people there. May your word go forth and may your people be encouraged. Lord, we ask that you would do that here in our midst now. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus, and on you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we continue in our series through the book of Ephesians. And you have probably heard the phrase, lost in translation. That can happen in many different ways. Now, some of you may have even used some of the tools online where you can take a phrase from another language or even a phrase in English and translate it into another language. And those tools actually have gotten much better over the years. Well, about five or so years ago, an author by the name of Lee Strobel did a simple test trying to see how well this worked to see if anything got lost in translation. And what he did was he took the well-known lyrics to take me out to the ball game, and you know those, take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd, buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack, I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. What he did is he translated that into German using the tool that he had, and then he took the German and translated it back into English just to see if he would get back the same thing. And it, it was somewhat close, but something definitely got lost in translation, and, and what he got was rather militant. And you can imagine someone with almost an Arnold Schwarzenegger-type voice saying these words, or possibly singing them, because this is the translation he got back. Execute me to the ball game. Execute me with the masses. Buy me certain ground nuts and cracker-stacked fusig. I'm not interested if I never receive back. Let me root, root, root for the main team. If they do not win, it is dishonor. For there are one, two, three impacts on you at the old Paul game. Now, 
I don't know about you, but if I were singing, I'd just be depressed singing those lyrics. Something easily gets lost in translation sometimes. Now, thankfully, the online tools are much better today than they were back then. I share that because something often gets lost in translation when it comes to what does it mean to be a Christian. You see, we often present something not fully accurate uh, in explaining what it is to be a Christ follower. And, and you've heard me say this before, being a Christian is not about being nice, all right? Jesus didn't die to make you nice, even though typically you do become nicer over time when you're in Him. Being a Christian is not a moral improvement program, even though typically when you follow Christ, you do get better over the years. Being a Christian is about being remade completely, having an all-new life. And, and that's what this passage in Ephesians 4 is about today that Paul gets into. And it's very simple, his outline. Verses 17, 18, and 19 simply talk about life apart from Christ, and verses 20 to 24 talk about life in Christ. And so what I want to do is look at the first section with you and walk you through that. Life apart from Christ. He begins, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And so as we look at this first, that word live means to walk literally. He's talking about that you are called to a radical different walk. And, and, and know this, the Bible regularly tells us that the church is to be countercultural. We live in our culture. For those of us here in the United States, we have a culture surrounding us. For, for, for our brothers and sisters in India and around the world, they have their own cultures. The church of Jesus Christ is regularly called to be radically countercultural. Our lives are meant to look very different to our culture, cultures and distinctive from all the nations out there. And so this word live literally means to walk. It's how we live life every single day, distinctively, particularly different. And you notice he says, You're, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And what's odd about this, he's writing to Gentiles. You know, the, the church at Ephesus is made up of Gentiles. And what he's telling them is, yeah, you are Gentiles. You're called to no longer live as the Gentiles do. Your way of life, your old way of life is old, and now you are living in a radically different way. Paul goes on and says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. That word futility is quite harsh because Paul is saying it's pointless. It's a waste. Futile thinking is a waste. It's a pointless thing. The futility of their thinking, what Paul was referencing, was the Gentiles, they live for here and now. They live for themselves, and that's all there is to it. There is no concept of there's more to life than what's in, presently in front of me. There's no walking in a way that God is involved in life, and I should somehow be living in light of Him, and that actually everything I do has consequences to it. He says, their thinking is futile because all they have is the right now, and that's what drives everything they do. Their 
thinking is futile. And theologians call this the noetic effects of sin, and it just means our minds are corrupted by sin. It doesn't mean thoroughly corrupted, but our minds, you know, when, when we fell in Adam and Eve, sin impacted everything about us, even the way our minds work. And so our minds are fallen due to sin. And the Gentiles surrounding them, it's not that they were not religious. They were very religious people. They were worshiping all the time, but their lives were done completely apart from God. Religious activity wasn't the same thing. And often, just as it was then as it is today, most people who are separated from God, they don't really realize they even have a meaningless, futile, wasteful life unless they slow down enough to truly think about it. And then they feel that emptiness. What we typically do in our culture is we just make our lives so busy. We don't pause. We turn on music. We turn on the TV. We distract ourselves because we can't stand what happens because the futility starts washing over us. He goes on and he says, They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. This darkened in their uh, understanding, that gets to that mental state. There is mental effects of sin. And why is that? It's because of the hardness of their hearts. Literally, the word hardness here is the word for marble. He's saying they have stone hearts, marble hearts. People love to vaunt their liberation from biblical thinking. They say it's so enlightened to put this off. This is archaic. This is of the past. It's enlightened if you disassociate from this. And Paul's saying that's not the case at all. In fact, the hardening of their hearts, which causes the darkening of their understanding, actually makes them slaves. And that's what he says when he says, given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, they're full of greed. And greed there isn't just greed for money, it's greed for pleasure of the senses. By giving themselves over, Paul is saying they are enslaved to their passions. You're not enlightened. Discarding this actually enslaves you. And, and people know this. People apart from God are enslaved to all kinds of things because they're driven by fear. They're driven by the need to prove themselves somehow. They're driven by the need to make a name for themselves somehow because their identity is so wrapped up in themselves. Paul's saying they're completely enslaved. Their lives are apart from God. It's a, it's a rather bleak picture, these first three verses that we have here. And what Paul's saying is this is the way it is for everyone apart from God in Jesus Christ. You too, Ephesians, were like this. You too, Stonebridge and Rick Harper, were like this. You were futile in your thinking, darkened in your understanding, living with a hard heart, giving yourself over to whatever pleased you in the moment. And Paul's saying, that's what you were. Now you're different. And he calls them and he calls us to be radically different, a radical countercultural. And, and know this. It's not just from the unbelievers out there in the world. 
I don't think it stops there. I think Paul's also calling true Christians everywhere to be different from the nominal Christianity that surrounds them all the time. Because there are many people in churches that profess the name of Jesus Christ and yet do not live like Jesus Christ at all. And I want you to know that is one of the worst witnesses in the world. For a person to say, yes, I raise my hand, I'm a Christ follower, and then everything I do in life would speak against that. That is one of the worst witnesses because Christians by name only were charades. We're playing a part. We're saying something, we're acting like something on a Sunday morning that were radically different during the week. That's one of the worst testimonies there are. I'll never forget a woman in Atlanta who wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And, and what it all stemmed from was from her childhood. She said, I grew up in a Christian home. Mom and dad professed to be believers in Jesus, and my dad was actually a leader in the church. But here was my experience growing up. I'd get home from school in the afternoon, and I'd wait for my dad to come home. He'd get there, and he'd pick up the paper without saying a word to me or my sister. He'd read the paper until dinner. At dinner, he'd open his bottle of wine. And then he would drink that full bottle of wine from the beginning of dinner until he went to bed. And we were already asleep by that point, and he never said a word to us. And it was like that day in, day out. She said, yeah, my father wasn't a mean drunk. He wasn't an angry individual. I just never knew him because he had nothing to do with me. And yet he went around telling people regularly about his service in the church and how he was a Christ follower. And she said, I decided early on in my teenage years, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with any of this. You see, she grew up in a home where there was a profession made and yet a lifestyle that was radically different. You know, the most people, the most difficult people to lead to Christ aren't people who never grew up in a church or in a Christian home. Typically, they're the kids who grew up in a Christian home, but in a home where the parents said one thing and did something completely differently. And hear me on this. I'm not saying you have to be perfect because none of us are. But you know what I mean when you say something and then everything else is just contrary to it. There's a difference between saying I follow Christ and when you fail, you repent to your kids. And you say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I blew it. Will you forgive me? I'm struggling to follow Christ. It's not a call to be perfect. It's a call to be authentic, that what you do matches more closely with what you say. We do damage to the community if we say one thing and live differently. This isn't a new problem, and Paul's reminding the Ephesians that you, at one point, were living a pointless life, corrupted by hard hearts, enslaved by passions, apart from God, but no longer. You were apart from God, but now you're alive in Christ. And this gets us into the second part that he talks about, and what we are really going to focus on this morning. The next verses, 20 to 24, listen to these once again. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so in this section, Paul says, this is what it means 
to be a Christian. And I said at the beginning, being a Christian is about being remade completely because Christianity changes everything about your life. And Paul talks about this in the phrases. There's three phrases there at the end of the section. Putting off your old self, being made new in the attitude of your minds, putting on the new self. And when you, if you want to understand what he's talking about here, this putting off, putting on, literally you can think about it like changing clothes. Because the word that he uses here in Greek is literally what the Greeks would use for taking off their clothes and putting on clothes. And sometimes the Greeks would use this phrase to talk about putting on a virtue. So if a man needed bravery, well, I will put on the virtue of bravery, and I'll seek to live that out. I'll put it on. Paul's not talking about just adding a virtue. He's talking about a complete life change, putting on, taking off your life, putting on a life that's completely outside of you. It's not just putting on bravery or putting on goodness. I'll put on niceness so I'm not so mean anymore. Paul's saying, no, no, it's far more than that. It's whole life overhaul. You die, you take off your old life, you put on this new life. You know, I mentioned it talks about clothing, and our whole world is obsessed with fashion, because fashion promises us so much. And before we go on, you know, I, I said, first hour, let's get the elephant out of the room. Little did you know that Tim Mascara moonlighted as, you know, a male model, but you can ask him about that later. He's got to make a living somehow. The world loves fashion because fashion promises you something. And I'll admit this, one of my favorite TV shows is Project Runway. Guys, stay with me. I I know... I love Project Runway, and here's the reason why, because I am blown away by the creativity at men and women who can take random pieces of material or substances in a room, and they won't even give them material sometimes, it's like construction paper, and now go design something that somebody will wear that will look outstanding. And these people will do the most amazing things, and so I'm just blown away by the creativity of people who can take something that looks like a pile of junk and turn it into something beautiful. But you've seen the other shows out there. You see the frumpy-looking guy who, you know, kind of looks, you know, he has no confidence, he stutters, he's, you know, everybody, yeah, oh, Frank. And then Frank goes in and he goes under the overhaul. He gets a haircut. He gets a do-over, a remake. He gets new clothes. He's taught how to hold himself in different ways. And then the show, you know, so you had before Dowdy Frank. And then afterwards, whoa, there's Frank. And Frank comes out, and he's a whole new man. Because fashion promises you a whole new life. A woman who lacked confidence, she gets made up. She goes, you know, under the makeup artist and the hairstyle and the dress Wow, her kids and husband, I can't believe she looks like this. She's a different mom because it's promising something to us, a whole new self. But you know the problem is clothing can polish 
the exterior, it does nothing to the soul. It can change the way you look externally, but it does nothing about who you truly are on the inside. You know, in our text, what Paul was saying is that you have an opportunity to put on a divine wardrobe. And this wardrobe, if you'll put it on, it will not just change your externals, it will change your internals. It changes you from the inside out. You literally become a whole new person. It's not just some little tweaks on the outside. You're remade from the inside. You know, if I went in today to Joseph A. Banks and said, I want a new suit, and and they were going to take my measurements, I said, no, no, I'm not taking this off. Just measure me as I am. And then I tried to put on the suit on top of this one. They're going to think I'm nuts, and I would be. Because if you want the clothing to fit appropriately, you take off so that you can put on. And what Paul is saying with the taking off is that you are taking off your former way of life completely, and you're putting on something new. And what he's getting at in this is this is what can get lost in translation, I think, is that conversion is a continual process. It happens throughout life, not just in a moment. It starts in a moment, but it continues every single day until we go home to be with Him or until Christ comes about back. Conversion, any person who is truly converted spiritually is always being converted. Yet the reference to taking off and putting on is just another way of saying to live in repentance and in faith. The taking off is I repent of that way of life. I repent of that way of thinking. And I take on in faith the life of Jesus Christ, what He has done for me. You see, taking off and putting on is just about trusting Jesus and renouncing your sin. And Paul's saying, Ephesians, this is what you were taught. You took off that old life, and now you continue that every single day. If all of your Christian life is about what happened to you 20, 30, 40 years ago at one point, and that's it, were you converted? Because the person truly spiritually converted is being converted every single day. It's not just walking the aisle one day and then now living the rest of your life any way you want to. It's also not just about tweaking your life. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm slightly depressive in my nature, and so I'm going to add Jesus onto my life, and He'll make me happy. He will give you joy. But it, this is not about just tweaking your life in different ways. This is about taking off and putting Him on completely. One of my seminary professors was a guy named R.C. Sproul. And Sproul loved golf back when he was younger, played it regularly, was a scratch golfer, would regularly share Christ with people that he played golf with. And he told us about one guy, how after a round, they were sitting, having lunch together, and Christ was, R.C. was sharing Christ with this man. And the man looked at him and said, so what you're telling me is if I become a Christian, Jesus is going to want my Sunday morning round of golf. And Sproul said he almost choked and then said, 
if you think that all Jesus wants is your Sunday morning round of golf, you don't get it at all. Yeah, He wants that. He wants your whole life. He wants everything about you. So don't think you just got to give up Sunday morning golf. You got to give up everything if you're going to become a Christian. That's the taking off and putting on. You see, what this gets at in being a Christian is this, every single day, who are you living your life for? It's crazy, these things. Who are you really living life for? Who really gets to call the shots in your life? That's every single day. So I wake up tomorrow morning. Am I going to live for my kingdom or for his kingdom? Is it all about my agenda and Jesus, will you bless it? Or is it, Lord, I give my life up for you and your agenda. Use me however you want to use me today for your glory. When you go to the mall, is it just, well, I've decided to buy all this stuff. Or was it done in light of Jesus Christ? Everything about our life. You see, it's not just adding on. It's a complete new life, a complete new way of thinking and being. So who gets to call the shots in your life? And the problem is there's always going to be this pull of the old life. You see, none of us are perfect. That old life, and why Paul is reminding them of this, that conversion is every single day, is because that old life still calls to us. It's constantly wooing us in different ways. We will always struggle with sin until Christ comes. Now, so that means if you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I struggle with sin, you know what? You're in good company. Every single person in this room struggles with sin. Never think you're alone, and never think the church is a, is a place just with really good people. You know what? You guys are screwed up badly, and so am I. We're sinners saved by grace, and every day we put on the life given to us in Jesus Christ, and we turn away from the old life, yet that life keeps calling to us. And that's why Paul, he says, in the middle of this taking off and putting on, you've got to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Now, Doug's going to cover this because if you read Ephesians 4, verses 25 to the end of the chapter actually go completely with this. And now what Paul's going to do through the rest of this chapter, he's going to talk about take this off and put this on, and here's why. Don't do this, do this, here's why. And so the renewing of your minds is critical because it's that why you don't do this and instead do this, that why is what will change you and help you to continue to take off and put on. We must be renewed. Doug will get into that more next week. So this morning, let me ask you, just, just do, we're going to do a 15-second inventory here. Examine your life. What's causing your heart to be hardened today? It can be any number of things. Unconfessed sin. Willfulness to surrender that area to Jesus Christ. A lack of showing grace to somebody else. What's causing hardness in your heart today? Take off. Put on Christ. What's darkening your mind today? Is it obsessive worries about the future? 
Is it that you're trying to control life in certain ways and you, you've got to make certain things happen and that's darkening your mind because now your faith is really in yourself and not in Him? Maybe it's the things you let your mind run down during the week when you look at certain images or the jokes you tell or the things that you talk about in the workplace. What's darkening your mind? Take off and put on. What's killing the joy of the Lord in your life today? Because His joy isn't about a life that's perfect and everything goes right and it's sunny every day. His joy is available to every person every day no matter what. What's killing your joy? Some of you know the story of St. Augustine, and you may have even read his confessions. St. Augustine was probably one of the best minds given to the church by the Lord. He grew up in northern Africa, and if you read his confessions, you know this, because he's very open about it, what a sinner he was. Basically, Augustine was a sex addict, and his mother, Monica, prayed for him nonstop, even as her son's life went completely off the rails. And he's very open in talking about his sexual exploits and different things and his sin in a lot of different ways. Well, Augustine, when he became a Christian, he truly took off the old life and put on the new life in Christ. And he talks about in the Confessions how one day he went into a city that he was visiting, and wouldn't you know it, one of his former lovers was there, and she saw him, and she ran up to Augustine, is all over him, oh, Augustine, how good to see you, come with me. And, and he's, he's not being mean, he's being cordial, polite, but he's not taking any of her advances. And she keeps trying, and he keeps not responding. And eventually, as he's about to leave, she gets rather desperate and says, but Augustine, it is I! And he stopped and he turned and looked at her and said, yes, I know, but it is not I. Because now he was a completely different person. That old life he had taken off fully and was living in his whole new identity. I know, but it is not I. Think for a moment with me about what Jesus took off and put on. You know, before long it's going to be Christmas where we get to celebrate Advent together and the thought of eternal God becoming man. You know, theologians call that Jesus' humiliation where He became one of us. And it blows your mind if you truly think about how the eternal, infinite God took on flesh how the eternal God made himself vulnerable to experience pain and suffering and even death itself. You realize what he took off and put on just in his coming to earth? And then on the cross, it gets exploded so much more. Because when Jesus lived and walked this planet, he lived perfectly, without sin, without stain, spotless righteousness. And you know why he did that? Was so that he on the cross could take that off and give it to every single man and woman who would have faith in him. And you know what he took on on the cross? Was all of our junk, 
all of our garbage. And so on the cross, what happened, His spotless righteousness, He took off and He took on our filthy rags. The book of Revelation talks about these white robes that we're going to have. It's the robe of Christ, the robe of righteousness. That's why Paul ends this section in these verses saying, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He traded spotless garments for soiled rags so that we could have spotless garments. You see, when we take on, we literally take on the life of God Himself. So when you put on Christ by having faith in Him, you put on His virtue. It is no small thing to be a Christian, friends. This isn't a small tweak. It's not a moral improvement program. This is a totally new life that's been given to you. And we are on track, Paul says, to become just like Him. Perfectly righteous. Do you remember the first time your parents gave you a piece of clothing that just really changed the way you felt about yourself? Maybe it was a prom dress. Maybe it was the first time you wore a tux. Maybe you were a, member, a man or woman in the military. And the first time you put on that uniform, and from what I understand, if you're going to join the Marines... They will tailor that uniform and cut and measure, cut and measure at least three or four times to get it perfect. And you see that man or woman in their marine uniform, whoa, do they look sharp. Paul is saying, you have a uniform, a piece of clothing that you put on that is glorious, and you will find delight in it, it will give you an identity. It actually makes you look like God Himself in righteousness and holiness. And one day, you know what's going to happen when Christ comes again? We will see each other perfectly in our righteous robes of Jesus. No spot, no stain. And we will be amazed, fully dressed, We were made for this, friends. We were made for this life in Christ, a whole new life. You know what we are today? We're a church filled with sinners. So if you're a sinner, you're you're in the right place. And I want you to know something about the people who are sitting around you. You know what? They have quite a past, particularly in that section over there. You know, there are in this place adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, frauds, alcoholics, addicts, the proud, the selfish, the unjust, the corrupt in every single way. And that's the church. But that's not the end of the story. Cheer up, you're worse than you think you are. The end of the story is Christ took that on so that you could take on His righteousness. And so today, you know who you are in God's sight? You're perfect. You're holy. You're beautiful. You're without any blemish whatsoever. Because that's what Jesus did for you and for me.
That's why Augustine, who when he thought about the cross and what Jesus did for him, he could say, in Christ, there is no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. It'll come back up in a minute. There is no saint without a past and no sinner without a future. So friends, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Christianity, you want to know what it is? It's putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ Himself and dying to everything else. He is our King. He is our identity. And when we, His followers, live that out, I guarantee you nothing will get lost in translation. And the world will start seeing our beautiful, glorious God as He really is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, that we are a, we are a bunch of sinful people who could do nothing about it, but You did it all. And You took all of our sin on Yourself so that we might be the righteousness of God. Oh, Lord. I pray for any person here this morning who is struggling with their identity, their purpose in life, that they would see themselves in you the way you see them, as holy, as perfect, as blameless. Lord, that in Christ we are your delight. Lord, we give back our tithes and our offerings to you now, asking that you would take the good news around the world. And Lord, as we pass the offering plate, Symbolically, we put our lives once again today in your hands. Help us to take on your life, Lord Jesus, to live in repentance and faith every single day so that you would be glorified. Amen.